Welcome back to Girls Gone Canon. Well, Girl Gone Canon. I am one of your hosts, Chloe, here today to talk about unleashing the D, the House of the Dragon, that is. Uh, episode six featuring one of my friends, John Picasso. Hello, hello. Hey, hey, how are you? I'm excited. I'm so excited to talk today with you about everything Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. And if you don't, I mean, there's no way you're listening to this podcast as in A Song of Ice and Fire fan, and you're not at least familiar with some of John's works. We will leave loads of links below. Uh, but John has worked with some authors like George R.R. R. Martin, if you've heard of him, uh, like House of the Worm, Wild Cards, and of course, A Song of Ice and Fire. You've worked with Chris Roberson on the X-Men Returns comic, which I've actually read amazing uh, and some of his other works and for the Grishaverse fans out there you've worked with Lee you've worked with so many different artists and book covers and different companies that it's just such a an extensively interesting career I'm excited to chat with you on and I don't want to like really brag for you but you're on what three Hugos three three so far yeah so far oh my <laughs> god <laughs> you have more titles than Daenerys Targaryen <laughs> It's it, it the field has been good to me. I'm I'm grateful. You know, I mean, basically, I do the work, I put it out there, and if people enjoy it, then um, I'm I'm happy that it's it's connecting. And you know, the we're not, I'm not here for the hardware, but but when it shows up, I'm I'm very grateful for it. So thank you to everybody who's put me in those positions. Yeah, the A Song of Ice and Fire 2012 calendar is like it's some of the best art depicting the book characters in, you know, a, a lot of this community. And I mean, it's crazy to watch that calendar itself evolve, as we'll talk about, because every year there's been someone new to really take the reins and bring something beautiful out of their imagination of George's works. And it's crazy to look at, I, I was reading the AMA you did on Reddit a long time ago, you know, seven years ago. And I know a lot has changed for you, but I was really impressed by just talking about the evolution of art and how you've managed to stay passionate and stay involved and have a community and grow it into something more than just a job. And I think that's something that this fandom, the Song of Ice and Fire fandom is really about. And it's not just that for you, right? Like you do some beautiful La Loteria work of artwork for what is, in my opinion, it sounds like my family with Bingo or with Uno, right? Uno especially is, oh God, violent. Yeah, no, totally. It's it's very much Mexican bingo. Um, we can definitely get into that one. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I'm still working on that project. I have people all the time pinging me saying, hey, when are the next cards? Because um, I've been working on sort of one by one in between all my other work. Because Lotharia is really for me. It's a personal project, but it, it is meant to be something that is going to be a commercial vehicle um, um, in the future. And I think that future may be coming sooner rather than later, but there's some other things that have to have to happen first. Um, and I can maybe touch on some of those as we, as we go along, I guess maybe the first thing to do, I guess, I mean, it's, you're, you're the one leading the dance, but do we want to talk about Song of Ice and Fire and kind of where I came into that fold? Is that, is that, do you think that's interesting to people? I think so. I, I have heard a little of the story, but not firsthand. So yeah. I would die for a firsthand, but yeah. let's talk about you and that guy named George R.R. R. Martin that we all know. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I used to, um, well, I still do. I still do um, attend conventions. Uh, have a lot of friends that have come from the convention community. Um, you know, my career starts off 
I guess in 96 is when I did my first um, SFF book cover. And that was for a Michael Moorcock book called Behold the Man. Um, at the time, I'm I'm an architectural intern. You know, I have, my degree was in architecture. And at the time, I was working in architecture full time and doing, um, you know, trying to chase this dream of becoming a, um, at first, a comic book artist, actually, was what I wanted to do when I got out of school. But then um, when I was asked to do that Moorcock cover, um, I first turned it down because I really wanted to do comics more than do science fiction covers. But uh, the publisher was persistent. And, and I think when Mike, when I actually got to meet Mike Moorcock, that really solidified that this was something I wanted to do. I did it. And the process of doing that cover completely changed my life. I mean, so this would be around 95, 96 or so. It was falling in love is what it was. I fell in love with the process of creating book cover art, being a part of a, a book publishing endeavor. And I, I wouldn't say I fell in love with Moorcock. Let's not get crazy, but <laughs> but I but he had a huge influence on me about the way he carried himself, about the way he treated people, and just his general magnificence, quite frankly. And and I and I thought, God, that's these are the kind of people that are in this field, which they're those are pretty rare. I found out I want to be here, you know. So I kind of put the comic book dream aside and started putting together a portfolio so I could pursue science fiction, fantasy book cover work. So that's like in the mid nineties. I don't go full-time until 2001, but now we fast forward to 2008. So I've been in the business at that point about a decade or so. And at that point, I'm still schlepping around this little metal um, portfolio under my armpit. It was like surgically attached to my armpit back in those days because I was always hustling for work at these conventions. And, and honestly, publishers were approaching me and editors and art directors would approach me for work. But a lot of times it was me trying to engage with authors and just trying to meet them. And, and I had always heard that you're not going to get work by meeting authors because they don't hire. It's the publishers and the editors and the art directors who do. But that never really affected me. I always thought I just enjoyed being around the writers. I enjoyed being around the, the people who were creating the work. It wasn't important to me whether they could hire me or not. But I, it was something about being part of that, I don't know, part of that soil, so to speak, that it was just very important for me to build those relationships for nothing other than just I just enjoyed the people. I had done some pretty significant work to that point. But when I walked up to George on the Saturday night at a Worldcon party, he was talking to a bunch of, of his peer group. And I remember walking in there with Lou Anders and Chris Robertson and a few other friends at the time. And we saw George and, and I said, uh, hey, you think I ought to walk up to him and ask him if I could show him some stuff? And they kind of said, yeah, you know, give it a shot. And I was, I was really nervous about it. I remember that. And I didn't want to bother him with his friends, but I walked up and kind of just took a moment when I thought there was a pause and I kind of tapped him on his shoulder and I said, hey, uh, hey, I'm John Picasso and I don't want to bother you right now, but if there was a time maybe tomorrow when I could maybe show you some pictures of my stuff, I've got some stuff in this portfolio, I'd love to show them to you. And I was really nervous. And he just looked at me and he kind of gave a little uh, smirk and he said, I already know who you are, John. I was like, how do you know who I am? He just started rattling off covers. I'll never forget that. He just rattled them off off the top of his head. And I know... Two of the Moorcock covers were right there on the top of his head. And he rattled off a couple of other recent ones that I can't even remember at this moment, but he just popped them right off the top of his head. I was really impressed by that. I had no idea. And he said, don't worry. The, the, the exact quote was, don't worry, we'll work together some. And I said, that's really cool. And he, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll catch you later. And that was that. And I walked away with Chris and Lou and my friends. And I said, that was the nicest blow off I've ever seen in my life. A class act. And you know, he's blowing me off, but that was so amazing. So I was super impressed with them, and I thought it was really great. A year later, I'm in Montreal at the uh, 2009 Worldcon, and I'm at a party on a Saturday night talking with my friends. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up right behind me, and he 
taps me on the shoulder and it's George. And he says, remember that conversation last year? So let's go finish it. Let's go down to the bar in the basement. And I said, right now? And he said, yeah, right now. So, <laughs> so I excused myself and we went down to the basement and uh, got a couple of drinks. And he said, um, have you ever read my Song of Ice and Fire books? And I said, um, are those the big fat ones? And he says, yeah, John, th those are the big fat ones. <laughs> and I said, I haven't read them yet. But uh, he said, would you like to? And I said, I, I would love to. And so at this point, I was thinking he was um, maybe going to pitch for me to perhaps do a cover for, for one of these books. And um, so I was listening for this and listening as he started to unfold what he was uh, approaching me about. And it didn't go that way. He was asking me if I had seen this um, calendar illustrated by a guy named Michael Comark. And he said, you know, there's a calendar um, that wasn't very well distributed. He said it was put out by a company called, or a, a couple of guys called the Dobble Brothers. And he says, have you seen the calendar? I said, I've never held one. And I said, but I am familiar with a couple of the pieces of that artwork by this guy, Comark. I said, it's beautiful stuff. And he said, yeah, it is. I love it. He says, but it's too bad nobody's seen it. What I want to do though, is I want to create a calendar. Um, how do I say this? He said it more like a calendar lineage uh, or a legacy is really the word he used. That, that would be attached to my Song of Ice and Fire books. And he says, you know, it's I want something not unlike the way the Hildebrands and Alan Lee and all these great artists were always doing calendars for the Lord of the Rings franchise. I want that for my Song of Ice and Fire series. I said, that would be amazing. And he said, yeah, would you like to be a part of it? I was like, I would love that. I was like, what? which month would I be doing? What? What? All of them. And I said, what do you mean? I said, I'd be doing the entire calendar? He said, yeah. Yeah, I, I want you to do a calendar, just like Comark did one, but yours is going to be seen while his wasn't, because yours is going to be put out by Random House, the mothership. You're going to, yours will be in bookstores everywhere. And I said, who has anybody else done one but Comark? And he said, no, you're going to be the first. I mean, Comark's the first one, really. But you know, again, you know, I, much as I love the work, it just didn't get put out there. Whereas this one's going to be out there. He says, would you do you want to do it? And I said, can I think about it? And he says, what do you have to think about? It? And I, he was so patient with me. Because I said, look, man, I've, and I remember telling him, I've got 13 covers right now. Because I remember how bad my schedule was at that time. I was literally doing 13 covers, which I can't even fathom right now. I mean, that literally is a different person. I, there's no way I could be juggling 13 covers at the same time at this point in my life. Because my life's a lot different now. But at that point, I was, no joke, literally juggling 13 covers across a number of different publishers, all in different stages of development. And I was doing all the interiors for um, Elric Sword and Roses, which was going to be the next omnibus from Random House Del Rey. And I was doing all of this at the same time. And so when he asked me this question, I literally kind of rattled off all this stuff. And after vomiting all of these titles at, at him, he said, well, you've got a choice, don't you? And I was like, yeah, it's a tough one. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, you just need to pass on this. This is, this is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. And even as I'm thinking that, I just the word yes came out of my mouth. I said, yeah, I, I count me in. Yes, I, I want to do it. And I remember walking away thinking, I think this is going to be maybe one of the worst decisions of my life. But I just really loved his passion for what he was trying to do and his belief in me. And so fast forward to a few days later, I'm back home from Worldcon. Um, I received a contract uh, via email and I faxed it in. I agreed. And I remember getting a phone call within like five minutes of sending it into Random House. And it was George. And he said, um, well, congrats. Welcome to the family. And I was like, good to be here. Did you already, you already know that I faxed the contract in? He said, yeah, they just told me. I was like, wow, that was quick. He was waiting. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was. Fax that kid. 
and get on his ass and tell him to, like he's like someone send him a text and send him the email because he's gonna do it he has feelers he always has had feelers out oh, there yeah. his his network of, of of minions is vast we know this and so he knew and so he said um congrats um welcome to the family and wow. he said i signed a contract today too and i said what what did you sign um he said well i i just signed a deal to do these books as a show for HBO. I said, really? Wow. He said, yeah. So I said, I wanted you to know, um, because what you're doing is a a series of illustrations based off my characters from Song of Ice and Fire. And what I want you to do is whatever happens with this HBO thing, I don't want you paying attention to it. I want you to just focus on my books. Don't think about how any casting goes, because we don't even know if this show is going to exist. I remember him saying that specifically. He says, I remember him saying, at this point, I would, I'm just happy if we get a pilot done. Anything after that would be gravy. I remember that specifically. And, and he didn't say that with any desperation or poignancy, but it was just, you know, he had been through the Hollywood game. You know, he had been writing for, for television in the 80s and he had, he had been through stuff, you know, with Beauty and the Beast and Twilight Zone, I believe. Mm-hmm. Was Twilight Zone or Outer Limits? I forget which. It was Twilight. I think it was Twilight. Twilight yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I know he was integral with Beauty and the Beast back in the day. So anyway, he he had seen the heartbreaks um, of of Hollywood, and so he he wasn't uh, he wasn't being snowed that that he you know was a shoe in for this to to happen. Uh, he knew that it was it was a long road ahead, and so this is right at the beginning of this whole um, saga for him. And so he lets me know about this thing. He says, "You can't tell anybody about it though, and I don't want you involved, you know, in terms of looking at the stuff." Just, I want to, and I remember this quote as well. I want a John Picasso vision of my characters. And I just want a pure John Picasso vision. I want the way you see all of these great fantasy characters that you've done so far. And I want you to bring that to my characters. And if you do that, I'll be so happy. And that was it. And, you know, I mean, you can't ask for any more than that. Because honestly, I had done Star Trek and I had done stuff that involved actor likenesses where actors have to sign off on the likenesses. And yeah, it's fun. It's cool. And, you know, I, I guess sometimes it even pays well, but... But I really was didn't get into this game to do that. I got into this game to imagine things and bring things from my own brain and my own way of seeing the world and trying to put them out there to help create stories and create worlds for people. And so to get to bring my imagination to his stuff, that was all I wanted. I didn't really want to go draw actor likenesses, even though maybe it, that might be easier for some artists to have something to reference off of. Um, so it was great. You know, I proceeded to spend the next many, many months working on this stuff. Um, fast forward to when the show comes out, right? Episode one comes out in 2011. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we were with him, San Diego Comic-Con, right? Yeah, that was... yeah, that, yeah. That San Diego Comic-Con happens for, gosh, I'm trying Before? to think. Before? No, because it was April, wasn't it? Well, I know I'm at San Diego Comic-Con in 2010. It was a, well, no, it was the 2012 calendar. I No, I think we're both. You did the 2012. No, you did the 2012 calendar and the yeah. premiere was April 17th, 2011. But the calendar would come out would have come out in the summer of 2011. It did in July for Comic Con. It was for Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's where that's what happened. So, you know, right as that thing is is starting to heat up, <laughs> um, I'm there with him at that Comic Con, and the thing just went gangbusters. I mean, not just the show, but that that artwork just went crazy. I mean, they were already starting to pee people. I remember there were already people cosplaying Daenerys and Jon Snow at that Comic-Con and the show had only been out for a few weeks and there were so many people that were already cosplaying. Um, So that told you a lot already, but there were people who were already um, 
making Xerox copies of my artwork and, wow. and the artwork and the calendar had barely even been out anywhere. I mean, officially it hadn't really come out that, that San Diego was almost like a preview, um, a, a preview selling of the calendar. So it was already getting attention after that San Diego Comic-Con, it really took off. I remember they, they kept having to bring cases of that calendar into the booth and kept having to bring them in from places they weren't like distrib distribution houses that were in California that they weren't expecting to have to tap because they just kept selling them. It was great. I kind of was a part of that whole craze there and I didn't think anything of it, but I do remember a very specific moment when that, that show first came out the episode in episode one, when you have the Baratheons coming into Winterfell and you see the POV of the, uh, the Starks kind of all lined up at attention as the Baratheon entourage comes through and the, the camera pans down all the faces. And I was there on the couch with my wife when that first episode came out. And I remember just looking at all the faces and, she, and I remember Tracy saying, that brand looks a lot like your artwork. And she said, oh my God, that Arya looks a lot like your artwork. And she said, Rob looks just like your artwork. And we were somewhat freaking out, you know, that a lot of a number of the faces in this cast looked strikingly like my artwork, even though, you know, I, I had I had held true to my word. I had never looked at any of these people because um, it just wasn't the job. And I really wasn't interested in that anyway. I chalked it up to coincidence, quite frankly. I just figured, well, we're all looking at the same, you know, uh, material, the same words from George. And we just kind of all saw it the same way. And then, of course, that San Diego happens. And I still didn't think anything of it. But then I think we fast forward to... Um, Whatever that Worldcon was, it was it wasn't 2012. Might have been the next year. I think it was 2013, actually, in London. And I was there with George. I think at a Hugo after party, Benioff and Weiss were there, the producers of the show. And I remember George introducing one of them to me. I think it was it was the shorter one. So that would have been Dan. Yeah, right. And so Dan walks up and he says, "Yeah, we've been looking at your stuff for a long time." And I, I didn't know quite how to take that. I was like, well, thanks, man. It's very, very nice of you. And 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 because I didn't think we had any connection, my artwork to that to the show. And then David walks up next to him. He says, hey, this is John. This is the guy. And he says, oh, you're you're the guy that did the artwork. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, the calendar artwork. And George is kind of smirking off to the side. And then Dan looks up at David and he says, how long have we been looking at his artwork? And he says, I don't know, since way, way before season, I mean, before episode one, obviously. He says, we were looking at it before casting though, weren't we? And then George kind of starts laughing and I start putting it, because I think he just saw me starting to put it together. And I said, wait a minute, how, how did you guys see my stuff at that point? So yeah, George looks at me like, come on, haven't you figured this out yet? That's the first time it ever dawned on me that as I was creating this artwork, he was funneling it to the producers. And I have no, um, I have full full belief that I was not the only artist. I'm sure I wasn't. I'm sure he was funneling because he's such an art fan. I mean, he he's he's a huge supporter of fantasy art and collects it and he, he loves it. So I'm sure that there's, and there were plenty of other artists doing Song of Ice and Fire work before me. And so I'm sure he was funneling some of that stuff to them as well. But it just had never dawned on me that my stuff was being funneled in that direction. Yeah, that was kind of mind blowing. And that's when I realized, whoa. So my stuff had been sort of used as a, as a source uh, influence or inspiration for some of their decisions, I guess. It, it was pretty obvious when you looked at those three characters, especially. I was just happy to be a part of something with a friend. And, and that's what George became. I mean, we very good friends still are. I mean, I, I still consider him a dear friend and, and I would think he does too. We've been through some things together, uh, even post Song of Ice and Fire. That was an amazing thing. That's how I first got involved 
in the project. There's something really magical about the worlds, the many worlds of George R. R. Martin. There's something really special. I don't personally know him. I know of people who know him, and I know some people who know him. There's just this spark that you get when you listen to his interviews or listen to him storytelling. 2018, you did that wonderful, wonderful interview with him at Redwood for Locust Mag. And yep. And you brought a lot of really amazing details out for everyone in that interview. Uh, in fact, you confirmed one of the theories that I have written before. So I was kind of excited. Which theory was that? Which theory was that? Well, you helped confirm Blood Raven bringing Dark Sister to oh, the cool. cave you, cool. uh, with the Q&A with some of the fandom with help from Ashea from History of Westeros, I think. Yeah. Actually, I've been theorizing. I think Mira Reed will probably wield Dark Sister. I think that's pretty obvious to help get them out of there. That's our girl. It's mm-hmm. our frog catcher. But that Q&A had a lot of great just little snippets that came out. When you look at kind of, I mean, so I came in to A Song of Ice and Fire probably around season two. Okay. A avid reader. One of my buddies just said, you got to watch it. I mean, you got to watch it. So I, I came in, I watched season one, season two just ended, finished season two, watched Blackwater, cry, rinse, repeat, cry. Anyways, but in love with it. And I was like, I have to have more. And George seems to be so passionate. And when he sees something special in someone, whether a fellow creator uh, in his community he's created or outside of that community, he seems to really raise them up. I don't know, not take care of them, but for you, like you said, he he started out not dissimilarly from your story, right? Of creating art, being passionate about art, being passionate about people and culture and creating something, creating a community, uh, a story, something that touches people and reaches people. And him being like the biggest fanboy of us all, right? I mean, he is uh, the world's biggest fanboy. Like you said, he's so passionate about art and, and things surrounding his interests and Paris too, it seems. It, it's special. It's so special. They're both, they're, they're both really true hearts. You know, they really are. They're super pure people. I mean, I remember when I finished um, doing the artwork, I think they asked me to be a guest of honor at, um, what was it? Bubonicon, which mm. is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So that's not that far from Santa Fe. And I remember uh, George saying, hey, I saw that you're going to be GOH at Bubonicon. And I think that was in 2011. Obviously, it must have been 2011. And so he says, um, bring all the originals with you because I want to I want to look at them in person. So I did. You know, I, I didn't put them in the art show, but I just brought them to my hotel room. And then uh, he texted me and he said, hey, um, bring, bring them up to my room. And I was like, sure. Yeah, no problem. So I brought them up there. And I wasn't even thinking anything other than it was just going to be show and tell. And I was kind of looking forward to him finally getting to see these things. And so the original artworks, just so for people that don't know, um, for those 2012 calendar illustrations, they were all these big, they're big graphite drawings. And they're not like just um, sketches. I mean, they're full on, full value um, graphite drawings that I then um, digitally colored in Photoshop. Um, so in the end, they're, they're, they're basically just, like I say, giant drawings. And um but they're so I'm very much a, a guy who's working hybrid with traditional materials, but then doing digital finishes. And I think that's a pretty consistent um, approach for at least the last 15 years of my professional work. So I, I bring these um, originals to his room and we lay them out on the floor. And there was a friend of his um, from Australia, a friend named Stephen Boucher, a mutual friend of ours, actually. And uh, Stephen was in there. I was like, hey, man, I didn't know you're going to be here, too. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't miss this. So we lay them on the floor and then George says, um, all right, I'll take that one, that one, that one. And he just starts picking like baseball cards, which ones he wants. And I was like, you mean you're, you're going to buy these? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I want 
I want, I'm picking the ones I want. And he picked them out. And, uh, and then Steven said, all right, you made your picks. I'm taking that one. And he took Bran and he's got a, he's got a serious, he's got a serious art collection. So, I mean, it's not like it was going to just anybody. And so it was really amazing. I think, I don't, I'm trying to think, what did, Brand, what did George take? He took Ned, he took Sansa and the Hound, mm-hmm. which I think he always said was his favorite of the pieces I did for, of the 12 pieces, I think Sansa and the Hound was his favorite. Now that one hangs in his house, correct? So if, when you walk into, or at least last time I was there, when you walk into his sort of office studio area, when you open the door and look to your right on the corridor, at least this was, like I said, the room could have changed at this point, but for for a good number of a good time for a good while there I should say he had those originals on the right wow. side as you open the door into his sort of uh, studio office area which was pretty cool to me I don't have the original but I have I have that one I have the Sansa and Sandor right in my own house in the right other on. room oh, yeah, that's I cool. have it big I I went big she got to go big in fact you actually signed it with a little heart on the paper you're like thanks so much right on so that's cool. thanks John thank you I love that one though and we will be having some links below for you all but if you have not checked out the calendar prints like the prints are beautiful they're full size they're available on john's website and they are you put a nice frame on that thing and you can look at it every oh, day thanks. every day he's got ned he's got sans on the hound he's got um see texas a&m i know got john snow they got that for their collection what else did he take he took oh he took rob that's right wow. he took the white walkers <laughs> he took rob he took ned he took sans on the hound Shoot, I'm kind of forgetting what's the last one. I think Mountain versus Red Viper. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you got that one. Yeah. Your Art of the Others is special too, because didn't he tell the Game of Thrones comics? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Take kind of some semblance from it. I mean, yeah, we're kind of the blueprint, John. I don't I know. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because if you look in the back of that graphic novel, the, 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 the graphic novel for Game of Thrones, they have like a little spread in there where they show my artwork and say, yeah, we decided to take from basically for my artwork for, for their depiction of him in the book, which is, you know, very nice. That's cool. Yeah. I forgot all about that. The way you look at it or the way I look at it is, you know, I'm, I'm part of a continuum, proud to be a part of it. And, you know, there were people that came before me and there's gonna be a lot of people that come after me. I'm grateful that I got to be there at, at that moment. There's an interesting coda to the whole, I guess, source inspiration story. 2018, I think I'm at Alamo City Comic Con here in San Antonio. I'm blanking on his name. It's going to come to me in a second. Isaac. Hempstead Wright, right? Yep. Isaac Hempstead Wright, the guy who plays Bran. He was a guest at the show. I remember um, sitting at my table and thinking, you know, maybe I ought to try to walk up there and check in with him and gift him a print of my artwork. I waited for kind of a quiet moment. And there was a friend of mine, a fellow artist named Lauren Snow, and who was a huge fan of the show at the time. In fact, she's about to be guest of honor or have her first guest of honor at ArmadilloCon here in Texas this next month. So it's cool how things come around. Anyway, so it was me and Lauren. She was at my table. And so we walk up together. And I just, you know, brought up this little tiny, you know, eight by 10 print of the brand artwork just to kind of gift to him. I remember there was like an assistant there, I I believe, who kind of kind of was like screening for him, kind of held up the artwork and he saw it and and he just lit up right away. And so we went up there. There weren't part. I think there was hardly any people. We picked a good time in the line. Long story short is he basically says, look, hey, you're the guy that changed my life. And I said, I think that's a little much. (laughs) He says, no, let me tell you the story. And so, yeah, I'll try to recount this. He basically said. When you audition for Game of Thrones, or when they were all auditioning, he said there were these different trailers for the different characters, different roles. And he said, you know, I was in the line, obviously, for Bran Stark. And he says, you have to remember, I'm a little kid at that point. I was like, believe me, I remember. And he <laughs> says, um, I'm holding my mom's hand. 
And he says, I'm really nervous. He says, my hands are really sweaty, an infinite line of kids in front of me. And he says, but as you get closer and closer to these trailers, there's all these big images on the trailers. And so as I get closer, I see this one piece of artwork. And he says, and it's your artwork. It was bigger than all the other pieces. And he says, it's on the side of the trailer. And he says, as I get closer and closer, I keep looking at that face on that character and I say, mom, it looks just like me. And he, and he said, as I got, as each kid kept going through the door, I keep seeing that artwork clearer. And he says, by the time I got to the door, I said, mom, it's me. That's me. That's me on that wall. And he said, I just, it just gave me so much confidence. And he said, I, I, you know, I was super nervous. I didn't think I was going to get it. But when I did the audition, I really felt it. I felt like I had it because that was my face. You know, obviously it worked because I got the role. But he said, you know, that seeing my face in your artwork made me think that this job was mine. I was like, I thought that was really amazing. And I said, look, man, it, it wasn't by design, much as I wish. <laughs> but I'm really glad it worked out that way because I thought, you, you know, you drilled it. You nailed it. He was a really sweet guy. But that further confirmed that, yeah, they, they definitely were, I guess, looking at my stuff very early on in the process and certainly during casting. And now I, I, I give him all the credit in the world for picking some great actors and, and really discovering sort of a, a new constellation of talents, you know, and that has nothing to do with my artwork. That's just, George had a lot to do with that casting. And, and um, no, I think they, they made great choices. That's why that show works so well, at least for a time it worked so well, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, I know there's a lot of backlash for the, the seasons that were maybe lesser written and et cetera, but that aside, like, did you watch that special for season eight that had like the, the crew and the production crew and everything they do in the background? I mean, I just to look at, you know, what it's become, right? Like how we've evolved, even with media is, is it's a full real production. I mean, it's built on labor and it's built on all these people doing things that believe in getting one job done together and they make something so magical. I, I know there's a lot of fandom stuff out there and people that are invested in different stories. The Song of Ice and Fire fandom is crazy, first it of is. all. They are passionate. They are all crazy. Everyone that is in love with it. And up until, you know, 2011, 2012, there was art. And all of the art that kind of came from the, the before the baby boom of, of Got and Aswath. You, Michael Cormack's art, like it's very revered now, even oh, though yeah. it wasn't widely distributed at the time. There's so much art, the, the Loris art. Uh, the net under the weirwood and, and your net is very iconic and the Elaine art. I mean, these are pieces of artwork that when I was getting into the fandom, starting to really love the series 2015, I went on Tumblr and searched for the books. Like I was like, where can I, this is when Tumblr was still, you know, a place to go. Uh, but I was like, I want to see stuff about the books. Like I'm sick of the show. Yeah. I'm sick of what's going on with that. Like I have the books in my hands. I need more. I'm hungry for more. And I was just on Tumblr searching art and searching you know, the A Song of Ice and Fire books. And I found Ice and Fire Con, for example, who they're going on their 10th year this year. Wow, really? Yeah, 10 years, 10 oh years God. of A Song of Ice and Fire this year at Ice and Fire Con. That's amazing. For a fan-run con and people who are just so passionate about meeting other people with similar interests and the amount of relationships and podcasts and friendships, just I've seen this kind of birth. Of course, you know, your art and Michael's art were were kind of looked at as probably those influences i mean before that baby boom now everything everywhere is a swap which is amazing there are amazing a song of ice and fire fan artists everywhere now uh but but it really does make sense why your art is so revered it was the art you're taking me back though in a way because I, I look back i'm start as, as you keep talking i keep thinking you know you make a really good point about where you know where the show 
is now, but I, I think back to where it was, where we were at the time that, that show birthed. Because when I really go back and think about it, I remember how how nervous I was for George when that show was first coming out, that there hadn't been anything like this. And the, the chances of it getting um, greenlit for a second season were pretty precarious and fragile at first. And I remember when that first episode came out, me being nervous that, you know, would this thing continue on with a second season and because there really wasn't anything else out there like this. You know, we, we now we're, you know, what is that like now, 11 years later, we're, we're drenched in this stuff. We're oversaturated with it. But at that time, this was groundbreaking, breaking stuff for television. I remember looking at that first match shot of the wall and thinking, gosh, I wish they had just a little more money to spend on that (laughs) because it looked beautiful, but it was so good at that time. Remember, we still look at movie or motion picture, big screen production values as being one category and television production values for a show like this being a completely different category. And that line is very much blurred, if not obliterated now. And Game of Thrones was the thing that's literally, that's like the, how you say, the fulcrum where yeah. that thing pivots. Because I remember the budget, I, I can't remember what the exact budget number was for the, the first season of shows, but it was relatively low. They were doing so much amazing work with relatively a small budget, certainly compared to these days. And then as each season went along, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, I'm, but I remember the Song of Ice and Fire fandom, even before the show came out, I was already feeling sort of a certain level of heat from those fans, both love and also maybe a little bit of anxiety in that they had seen mm-hmm. some of my previous work when it was announced that I was going to do this calendar and thought, yeah, I don't know if this guy's going to be right. I don't know. I don't know if this is this guy's going to be the kind of guy that should be doing our stuff. His, a lot of his stuff is a little bit conceptual. It's a little abstract. Can you be realistic people? <laughs> you know, and and my stuff was a little all over the place, but I could see what they meant about science fictional, a lot of my science fictional covers being a little more conceptual. And so there was there was probably good um reason for some of them to be a little bit anxious about it. But I it never occurred to me to do these things conceptual. So you but you can't blame the fans for not knowing that. I mean, they they were a little bit anxious about it and you could see it in the forums. And so um, I never felt like I had to answer to that, but I remember feeling like I wanted to be worthy of it. Yeah, I wanted to be worthy of 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 the amount of love that this these this fandom had for this for this um, property. So I think that that did have a little bit of an influence, I must say. Obviously, the show didn't have any influence on me because it didn't exist. But the fandom did a little bit because I saw some of those comments. I saw some of them doubting me. And I, I did want to answer that, but you know, the only way to answer is through the art. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it definitely, I think a lot of them definitely came to my side once the work came out, thankfully. But what I was really proud of too, and I remember this because again, your comments kind of take me back in that we weren't sure if there was going to be another calendar after mine. I do remember this now because I kind of forgot about this, that at the time um, I remember George and still to this day, he still feels so passionate about the things related to his books and I know as much as he cares about his TV legacy, the book legacy, the literary legacy far outweighs for him what happens in, in that other media. Um, I hope I'm not being too forward in saying that, but I think I'm right. You know, I think yeah. what he writes and how that's perceived and where that goes, I think that's what matters to him. And so, you know, this this um, calendar legacy that he wanted uh, for his, uh, or I should say this illustration art legacy that would be related to a calendar line was something he really wanted. It was, it was there in that early pitch. And so if mine wasn't successful, um, he wasn't going to get that. 
And I think that was what was weighing on me more than anything about a possible show. That really wasn't something I was worried about. I forgot all about that, that actually that was something I was really worried about. So that when the next calendar came out, I think that was Mark Simonetti. And I think after that was Magali Villanueva. And I think after that is Donato Gincola. And then on and on. And I could be wrong. I think I think I might have 2014 wrong. I think it was either John Howe or, gosh, I forget. But anyway, there's a long line of of both amazing, world-class, established legends, but then also some new young Gary, that, Gary Gianni. Oh, Gary Gianni. There you go. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> Gary's, Gary was already a legend even before that calendar. Oh, and yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. And so, yeah, the, the fact that that, that calendar lineage um, – was able to happen. Um, I don't take credit for it, but I'm just glad that I didn't mess it up. Let's put it that way. That <laughs> it was successful enough that Random House just basically said, "Yeah, we're we're going to do this for this foreseeable," and it's still going um, to this day. So, yeah, it's very nice. I, I I love that. I'm happy for George, and I'm glad I didn't mess it up. <laughs> yeah, let another Art Garian mess it up, so to speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what was great too is you know I remember thinking at the time I felt lucky, and I still feel lucky that I didn't have to have the TV people in my head. Like I didn't have to have the TV actors in my head when I was creating work from then on, after I did my calendar, they always had to contend with, well, I know I'm supposed to be doing the book characters, but you have to kind of compartmentalize and get Lena Headey and Sophie Turner. And here they are. Yeah. And I didn't have to deal with that. So I was always grateful for that. Um, well, and you did have kind of a stressor there because at the time, like said, like there wasn't a ton, ton of a swap art. There was a good amount, but there wasn't a ton of it. No, uh, and due to that you had to set kind of a precedent with what you were doing and nowadays i'm like sitting here and i'm like there is trippy ridiculous art out there psychedelic you know uh just art of this and that and the other thing of a swap and so many styles there are actually we love over at our discord we're big a song of ice and fire fan art fans and we have the the reddits the imaginary westeros reddit we have it posting straight into a channel so we can all look at it all day long. Anyone wow. that posts there just for, you know, a little art inspo. And I think that's really fun. That's cool. Just the different interpretations, different ways to bring your love for these characters out or, or the things that you really catch on to. And, you know, you had written, maybe it was in your AMA with Reddit uh, that you did a while back in the fantasy forum, but you kind of talked about making art and, you know, the concept of what happens when you commission it with somebody who's commissioning the art from you and wants you to do a cover or do a piece and how you find that happy medium and the relationship and how it's almost musical nursing that relationship in some yeah. aspects from the front to the end, whether business, whether the creative portion of it and kind of the mixing of media you do both on and off the page with that. And I think that's, um, it, it seems it's something that you've really gotten to excel and advance more at through kind of some of these things you did with George and then outside of that, as you've grown as an artist with other works and other authors. And I didn't actually know kind of the depth of your career. Yeah. You know, I mean, I will say that the BWB, the Brotherhood Without Banners, you know, I mean, they, they've, the BWB has always been so good to me ever since that work came out. You know, I don't even need, need to name names, but a number of the people that were there in 2011, 2012, that were kind of really rooting me on and, and uh, embraced me. They're still a, a part of my circles. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, you know, I know there are a couple uh, brotherhooders that come to Ice and Fire Con. So now our mission is we have to get John Picasso at Ice and Fire Con in the future. Where is this con? Where is it this year? 
It takes place at Deer Creek Lodge in Ohio. It's about 40-ish minutes from Columbus. Hmm. Um, it is... It is in the woods, and it has a lodge, a beautiful lodge, and there are cabins, all full electricity. So it's wow. not, you know, there's water, electricity, but it is just about 300 to 500 nerds annually in the oh, woods. Cool. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire stuff, mostly book-based, a little bit about the show. Another creative in another field that last year we had there was David Peterson, who's oh, cool. doing the languages, the you language. know, and yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff... Uh, that you speak about and, and like the Grishaverse, for example, he's pretty good friends with Lee and he was talking a lot about those worlds and creating the languages for those worlds and like just the intricacy and kind of that passion. And it reminds me of some of the things he was saying this year at Ice and FireCon. Sure. sure. Depiction of George's world and community that he oh, brought yeah. you into. So yeah, yeah. It's Absolutely. All tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a creative world of ice and fire. It's really interesting. I mean, there's like, there's bands, that do a Song of Ice and Fire concept albums, like the Manimals. Uh, there are artists, there are podcasters, there are bloggers, there's this, there's there's poets. I know a poet who does a Song of Ice and Fire poetry. Wow. Uh, our friend Janice. And yeah. the, it's just kind of crazy what it's birthed. And wow. what it's still birthing? Yeah. Question mark, because this is, I'm not trying, look, this show looks great. Ryan Condal and George has been feeding some great stuff with Ryan Condal yeah. to make it. Ha this is, I, I, I'm scared to love again, but I think I'm going to love again. Yeah. I think, I think it's not, it's not, uh, you're not alone. And I, but I, I see a lot of, at least amongst my circles, sort of a, what, what's the word? Hesitancy to almost burnt a feeling of being burnt from, you know, how game of Thrones ended for, for, for them. Um, you know, I, I certainly have strong feelings. I, I think I knew probably more than I probably should have known about where things were going, maybe a few seasons even before we got to season eight. Um, I was kind of seeing red flags, let's put it that way. Um, and things that I probably wasn't supposed to know, but just that I kind of knew and just had to shut up about. But just, uh, you know, I, I um, yeah. So, I mean, I can see though why the rest of the world would be looking at it saying, you know, why should I trust again? Um, look, you know, bottom line is when I think of Game of Thrones, again, we were just talking about what the world was like before that versus where we are now. It, it literally, I mean, I hate this word because it gets used so much these days, but it really was a game changer, truly. Um, and it, uh, I, I think we have yet to see a pop culture phenomenon that's not Marvel, not DC, like exclude Marvel, DC and Star Wars and anything Disney. Just put those aside for a second. But I mean... I don't think there's anything that isn't one of those things that that literally changed not just pop culture, but changed the way presidents talk, changed the way um, we present ourselves, the way we talk at the water cooler. Uh, we, yeah. we saw its influence in the way sports is perceived, the way music is perceived, the way, like I said, the way people even just communicate. I mean, this thing permeated for like about eight years across all levels of society around the world. I mean, it was truly profound, this phenomenon. And um, I know I was with George in Dublin at Worldcon in 2019. And I remember he said something to the effect of, well, now that my thing's done what it did, what really matters now is that we see one, if not two shows that have the same level of impact. And then we know we're good. Then we know that we're going to have these kinds of stories told for the rest of the way, it, it's going to happen. And and he says, but if we don't have another one that 
really nails that that sort of pop cultural I don't know if the word would be hegemony, but that sort of phenomenon where it just saturates into everything. He says, I worry that we won't, that will, it'll almost be seen as a one hit wonder, like that my show will be the one and then everything else will just kind of be like, well, I guess there was a trend. Maybe fantasy isn't, isn't here for, for, for good. I think that's, that conversation's done. We're going to have SFF TV and genre TV and, and shows, um, in perpetuity. It's, it's going to be there, but I think we're still waiting for one to hit the way his did or the way game of Thrones did. I shouldn't say his, but you know, the way game of Thrones did, I, I don't think Witcher's done it. I think the closest no. one is stranger things where we mm-hmm. see stranger things now having an effect on uh, music, the pop, the mm-hmm. pop charts. If, if I don't even care about that. Eight books, not for a lot of people I know, but, but for a lot of people that was their, their discovery moment which is great. Um, Metallica all of a sudden being back on people's minds uh, because of Stranger Things. But that's still not nearly the impact that, that Game of Thrones had. So I would be very curious to see how House of the Dragon does. I think it's going to be a hit, but I don't know if you can ever expect it to duplicate what Game of Thrones did. I just hope it's a really good show. But this is just me editorializing. Kind of glad we don't have the same producers. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that that'll be make for a better mix in terms of... Um, how the story is resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been talking to George much about this one. Um, in fact, hardly at all. I know I was asked earlier in the process if I wanted to be involved in a prequel project that I think is probably still in the works. And I had to turn it down because I'm working on something else of my own. And okay. I just didn't think that it would be good to be doing both of those. I didn't think I could devote the time that I already was committing to the project I can't speak of while also working on this possible Game of Thrones prequel project. so But it was a very tempting offer because I would have been able to have a, a bit of an impact, I suspect. And um, yeah, I don't like saying no to anything that involves George. Let's just be honest. It's got to be hard also. I don't feel like it's easy to say no to him. No, it wasn't. But it's the right. it was the right call, and I think he knows it. And um, hopefully it'll be proven when this other project comes out. I'm excited about the show. I'll be following it. For George's sake, I hope it's great. And I hope people love it too. We'll see. We'll find out together. So you didn't, You did you read Fire and Blood or no, you did not read Fire and Blood? I haven't gotten to. So the way it works for me is, you know, like when George approached me, like I told you, I hadn't read the books, but as soon as I mentally committed, which was basically in that bar, you know, first thing I did was go after those books and and immerse myself in them. And that's kind of my my process when I'm working on anything where the covers or anything that's artwork related to a, to a book or franchise, I immerse myself in it and I, and I try to know it backwards and forwards so that, you know, the way I look at it is I don't think about an audience when I'm doing my work. I'm just doing it for me in a way. Mm-hmm. Once you're putting it out there, I guess in a way it's like you're introducing a friend to a bunch of friends is the way I look at it, you know? So, you know, I, I'm doing this artwork and I'm finding like, say when I'm doing a cover for a book, you know, the, the fans out there haven't read this book. And sometimes I haven't either because the book hasn't even been written sometimes. And I'm trying to immerse myself in what this author is trying to do, usually because they're telling me the story in words, um, sometimes verbally. And and I'm trying to find what I think are the strengths in my mind of what this story is and how it turns me on and what makes it connect with me personally. Mm-hmm. And so once I've done that, I'm trying to then go to an audience and say, hey, this story is really amazing for these reasons. This is why I think you might like this story too. And I'm trying to do that through my artwork. And that's really, it's that simple, really. It's like introducing a friend to a bunch of friends. And that's the way I see the way my artwork is kind of a conduit for that when I'm doing um, a book. So to get back to Fire and Blood, 
yeah, the fact that I'm doing all these projects and doing all these covers and doing all this stuff means I don't get a lot of extra time to read other things. But I will say, if, if I ever had to get back into this world, believe me, I would read those things backwards and forwards and I, and I would know them. Uh, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, but <laughs> right now it hasn't yeah, happened right yet. But I'll, I'll be watching the show for sure, most definitely. Like right now I'm doing cover artwork for Rebecca Roanhorse's uh, Between Earth and Sky trilogy. So I did the first two books which are Black Sun and Fevered Star. I'm currently working on the third cover for that one. And so right now, my brain's kind of immersed in her world, along with some other worlds that I'm currently making as well. So that's why there's not a lot of room for fire and blood reading. But like I said, I wouldn't rule it out for down the road. What are your thoughts as far as how this might go for this show? What do you think? Definitely get not being able to like double dip into too many worlds, right? Because it kind of cuts the valve on the creative flow. If you're in Rebecca's world, how are you going to go into Westeros, into backstabbing, bloody, vengeance-filled, war-filled Westeros at the time of the Greens and the Blacks? Uh, the Dance of the Dragons, I think that this is some of the some of the sequel choices that have been tossed around, or prequel choices, sorry, for most, most of the prequel choices here. Uh, some of them have been like decent ideas, but lacking the drama, right? You need a little drama, I think, to bring Game of Thrones back. Let's do it again. And there's something interesting in the way we've seen in the trailers, like the evoking of another era. And how do we say this is Game of Thrones, but it's also not at all. Like, it's yeah. also very different from Game of Thrones with different people, except for Miguel and uh, George's guidance. But I feel like Miguel is a great person to kind of, you know, chaperone, to ferry it across the river uh, back to, to new life and bring kind of the old, but also mesh it with the new with Ryan Condal. I have been increasingly confident, trailer by trailer, that could be the hype. That could that could absolutely be the hype. That could be because I'm thirsty for a Song <laughs> of Ice and Fire content. In all seriousness, I think the Dance of the Dragons is a really dramatic story. And, you know, there is a little bit of it sprinkled in the main story. So the basics, like you know, is Princess Rhaenyra, is named the heir by her father Viserys, who was kind of coasting on a golden ring, right? Like he comes after Jaehaerys. He kind of had it a little good. The, the grandpa Jaehaerys did all the work already. Viserys names his daughter heir. Drama ensues because his new wife and his new kids are like, so what are we for? <laughs> Design? Mm -hmm. Are we just for furniture? Are we just... Uh, and fighting ensues with a, a lot of drama in between there. And then it's all out war after a while. And I think that's just with dragons, that's the perfect recipe to bring back some of that nostalgia for a yeah. decade ago when Game of Thrones was really starting to soar into its prime, getting ready. Also, at the same time, new new hands to form the clay, I think is a good feeling. Uh, the yeah. costuming, the costuming looks incredible. The details. Yeah, it does. It kind does. of very renaissance. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Is it is it Miguel? Miguel uh, is it Sapanchik? Sapanchik, I think. Sapochnik? Something like that. And he was one of the directors that did a lot of the key episodes for, um, mm -hmm. like the Battle Game of the Bastards. Yeah, and, he's really uh, yeah. good. There's like two or three of them that are that were really integral. Um, is it David Nutter? Do I have the name right? Is it David Nutter? <sighs> David have Nutter. Yes. No, it's David Nutter. He is another director. Yes. Really he, good. Really, really good. Miguel, Miguel was one of those three, two or three really strong visual storytelling voices in the first incarnation, or in the first series, in, the, in Game of Thrones, I should say. So mm -hmm. yeah, we'll see how this goes. I mean, um, 
yeah, I'm 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 rooting I'm rooting for him. Um, I'm not really tied into Doctor Who fandom um, hardly at all, but even with my very very surface you know knowledge of it, I have a hard time disconnecting uh, Matt Smith from <laughs> that doctor. stuff with the wig on. So you know, I I was able to get over Sean Bean, so <laughs> and, and completely embrace him as Ned. So I have no doubt that Matt Smith will uh, will work for me once I see him in the show. But I remember at first having a really hard time um, disconnecting and 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 because it, it was one of the smart moves of the, of the first show, which was cast unknowns. You know, yeah. don't cast known actors so that we could immerse ourselves immediately, which is always a smart move when it comes to these properties. And Sean Bean kind of messed that up for me, uh, but. <laughs> Oh my God, he was amazing. And I, I, I got it all worked out by episode two. I remember. He had you sure worked I, out. And by episode nine, good. oh boy. Yeah, oh I was boy. All good. Yeah, but we, we, we knew what was coming. That is a great point. You got to have one or two names, you know. And uh, a couple of the actors I am excited for Eve Best as Rainey's, uh, mm. who is, you know, the queen who was looked over, the queen who never was. She's mm-hmm. going to be great. I actually love her. I've been harping on it this entire season of uh, Unleash the D. <laughs> the new, uh, if you haven't known, Eliana, my co-host, is out of out of country right now. She's in another country. Oh, wow. We Unleashed the D is what we've been doing for House of the Dragon. The fans have been, and I'm sure you may have heard this, affectionately calling it Hot D. Hot D, yeah. Hot D. I've heard that. Get your Hot D August 21st. That's right. You know, we've been talking about it for weeks. Some of our favorite things on this show that we're excited for. And Eve Best is in Nurse Jackie, and she's amazing. She's in a bunch of other stuff. And she's an actress I really actually love. And Matt Smith, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and I love Matt Smith. Are you feeling it? So you're feeling it as at, in, in this show? At first, I was not. But now, <laughs> I believe it. I buy it. I, I completely buy it. He's Good. such Good. a dramatic actor. And Damon is like, he's like the blueprint for Oberyn. Yeah, sure. He's over and come again. I mean, right down to being sexy to his knees. Yeah, yeah. He can swashbuckle his way across a scene. He can do pretty much anything. They're playing it so much more Shakespeare this time around, which they should. Yeah. Game of Thrones was also a Shakespearean tragedy, very into tragedy. I'm like, yeah, make me cry, sure. make me upset, make me rage. I want to feel something. You're in the right place. Yeah, Matt Smith, I think, can do it. And I'm not a huge Damon fan. Uh, you probably won't be either. Buckle up, John. But uh-huh. uh, he's just kind of, he's a little slimy. He's kind of a sleazeball. Yeah. And you don't got to love him, right? Like, I mean, he's a good villain. You, sure. You need good villains, which George always brings some good villains in. Yeah. He is going to be, I think, interesting as him. I think he's actually going to do it. The dragon technology has improved, I have heard. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They could like, see themselves on a screen. It's not final, but they could actually see the background while they ride. It's not just you're riding a giant Bronco, whatever. Right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, technology has evolved so much, hasn't it, since that first season of Game of Thrones. I mean, I, I remember watching, I think at this point, I've seen all the behind-the-scenes uh, footage that they put on the Blu-rays. And mm-hmm. um, gosh, you can just, if you just track from season one to season eight, just the... The, the the production um production design and visual effects possibilities and the technology itself just evolved so much. I mean I'm not saying that Game of Thrones was the one that did that solely, but a lot of the things that we now take for granted on television really found themselves, you know, cemented in 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 the the work that the Game of Thrones crews did. It's it's, it, it's groundbreaking stuff. I mean I don't think it's gonna be matched 
um, in terms of impact. But um, like George, I'm, I'm waiting for that next thing that does have that kind of impact because, I mean, he's rooting for it. I'm rooting for it as well. I, I, I hope it happens. We'll see what happens with this show. Um, I'm, I'm, for me, still waiting to see what happens with Winds of Winter as everybody else out there is. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, I don't have any inside information on that. That's, that's one thing is when I get together with George, we don't really talk about unless I'm working on something with him actively, like wild cards or the things I was doing on the calendar. I never ask him like, Hey, how's, how's X going? Or how is this? You know, I never yeah. bring that stuff up. Just, just doesn't come up. We usually have other things we're talking about as the show, you know, now that the show is going to be out there, I'm, I'm really, I'm really hopeful that maybe we will see this book happen. You know I mean? Uh, and I have full belief in him. You know, I mean, I put out those really great blog posts lately that kind of have hinted at what's uh, what he's working on or what stage he is or with what mm-hmm. chapters he's working on. I have no idea how much material he's got in the can versus how much he's still got to work on. But uh, I know that when the way the show ended, I always felt like, you know, everybody kind of always already seems to feel like they know what the story is going to be when his books come out, that it's going to be an anticlimactic experience. And I don't know. I just don't believe that I kind of feel mm-hmm. like now, I mean, put yourself in his shoes. I mean, something I think about all the time is it's gotta be the loneliest place to be. Yep. Is there any writer, any creator that's ever been in the position that he was in for those eight years and is right now in the sense of having this amazing epic that basically now the world is your beta reader. They, they got mm-hmm. to see the entire thing in terms of its beats played out in front of them. And now you've got to go actually go write this thing. and the reaction was, to be honest, very mixed, wasn't it? In terms of how that show resolved and how that's got to affect you as a creator. And I guess in my head, I think if it was me, which it's not, obviously, just because those beats were told to those two guys back then doesn't mean they have to be the beats now. I'm not saying George is doing that. I'm just saying that if I, John Picasso, were doing it, if they thought I zigged, well, now I'm going to zag. That's your right as a, as a creator, isn't it? So I'm not saying that's what George is going to do. No way. So don't anybody go try to take that and put that on Twitter. That's not what I'm saying. But I, Don't make it a headline. Don't God. make it a headline. I'm not, no, I'm not coming over here acting like I know what he's doing because I don't. But I mean, that, that stifles your passion. I would disagree with anybody who says, well, I already know how the story is going to go. It's going to go like this because George has already said he told them the story and this is how it played out on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, not so fast. And of course, he's already been very public about saying, you know, those are the beats, but how you weave between those beats and how you play them out. We know that that was different on the show. You know, he kept mm-hmm. talking about the butterfly effect and how that played out as the episodes evolved. And um, I, I I fully believe that it'll be a very different experience when his, his, his version comes out. And that'll be the real version, won't it? You know, and I, I just hope he gets to, he's able to do it. I'm rooting for him more than anything on that, more than the television stuff. Brand's my POV guy, you know. I mean, that's the oh, yeah. that's the one that I can't wait to see how George plays those out. You know, that's that's the one. When I read those chapters, they are some of the best, most magical chapters. And I mean, how he was sidelined just from the storytelling effect and everything going on, it didn't do a lot of justice to his character. And that's one of the characters I'm looking forward to the most in the Winds of Winter. And yeah. I do think that's your magnum opus, right? You're telling this beautiful epic and. You've brought together so many people across the world in the name of it in so many ways. And it's hard because it was kind of done on a screen in a lesser way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing that will ever be a song of ice and fire, but a song of ice and fire. When I was a kid, 
I remember in the Sam's Club parking lot, I made my mom buy me the new Harry Potter. Right? <laughs> and I remember reading it, my face in the stupid book, walking through the parking lot, probably going to get hit by a car and die. I remember like I wanted to skip to the end and find out what happened. And that's something that a child does when a child reads a book. This sure. is a story about me as a child. Sure. As an adult, that's not what it's about. Like we love the story because of the characters and the journey that these characters are on. Like you're not going to love Arya Stark by reading her last plot beat. Right. It's a bummer that there are people that have chosen to kind of take those plot beats and, and that ending and kind of, I don't know, build resentment yeah. over fiction. But, you know, in real life, I get it. That's our escape every day. And some people have kind of made that their thing and they're not going to continue on. But the people are out there that want to read it. A lot of us, many of us, thousands of us, if you will believe there are thousands of us. Millions. millions. No, it's going to be millions. When that when that book comes out, that's the thing. I, I, I just kind of stay quiet about it, especially online. And It'll come out. I know a lot of people like to badmouth, you know, I, I hear these comment every, this is the one that sometimes makes me want to pop off and I don't. When people say, you know, for all these years we were talking about Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire and now nobody talks about it. Nobody cares. No one talks about it. Shut up. <laughs> See, that tells you just how awful it is. You know, how badly that thing was such a fail and thank God we're over it. And I just I just try my best not to say anything because I know when that book comes out, this is First all in over again. The <laughs> fire will rage. It's going to be, you know, it's it's never it's gonna be as if it never went away. It'll be yeah. there. You know, will the show have that kind of effect? I don't know. I'm I'm not really thinking like that, but I know when that book comes out, it's going to, it's gonna take over everything again. Just like it did before. You had 19 million viewers, right, for the last episode of Game of Thrones, 19.3 yeah, right. or something. And yeah. I expect this show will, what, it'll probably premiere. It'll probably still have 9 million. I mean, A, it's still, we're in COVID time still, which is really sure. just forever as yeah. long as we exist. And uh, people rely on media more than we did five years ago, 10 years ago. We are really reliant on media right now. Like, Marvel with their weekly drops of whatever good to maybe mediocre to good TV show that yeah. they're putting out, you know, sure they're not all winners. I've watched a couple of them because I too had nothing to do for an hour <laughs> a week. I think so many people will be drawn to it. Hey, new Game of Thrones, new Game of Thrones. Even like you said, water cooler talk, the way we talk yeah. about things, the way Khaleesi is used casually in conversation amongst people. It's all changed. And I think that it could get back up there i mean they're only looking at three to four or five seasons they've mentioned in interviews for the main dance of the dragon story i think we could see it repeat i think we could see it beat game of thrones in views which is fine um i don't know if we will but we could there is an opportunity and before this i was very i mean when i watched season eight it's like the chains broke off because i understood exactly what you and i just discussed this is just the major plot beats if George follows them. If he doesn't, yeah. he's going to give us a story. It's going to be great. Absolutely. I can watch. I watched it freely. I did not feel like I had any chains on me to hate it anymore. Yeah. I was like, I've been freed. And now he wrote a beautiful, brilliant, you have to read Fire and Blood when you're I think ready. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to fall into it. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to find the time for it. But I know once I start with this show, I'm going to say, all right. I don't know where I'm going to carve this out, but I've got to read this. Thing. I want to see your art too from reading it because like what I want to see is what your brain comes up with because it's not told in the POV structure that you're used to. Okay. So where you could get into Sansa's head or you could get into, you know, the head of Cersei while making art of her or uh, Ned, 
you can't just do that because it's very neutral. The way it's hmm. written is it's written in the voice of history. It's written oh, by cool. historians that are telling it. And so you don't know if Rhaenyra was really a jerk to Alicent or if Alicent was really being such a jerk. You don't know what the truth is. And this show has to kind of choose a lane on okay. some things. Cool. Um, so when you do get to read it, you know, when you finally say yes to George again and he tells you you have to read his book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but when that happens, I, I'm interested to see how you draw not from a POV of the character. That oh. is interesting. That oh, could yeah. change some things, huh? Sure, sure. No, I mean, if I ever get brought back into the stuff, I, I would certainly jump at it. It's, you know, it's, I, I, first, I've got to get this big thing that I'm currently working on out of the way. So I, I keep talking about this big thing, which yeah, I apologize to people that I can't really get into this thing right now because I've been told, look, it's got to stay secret until we're finished with it. But it is a book. Um, it's the most illustrations I've ever done for one project. It dwarfs what I did for Song of Ice and Fire. Um, it's the hardest project I've ever done in terms of my art career. Uh, it's a story that I will, I am co-creating um, with an author that I think a lot of the BWB clan will probably be very familiar with. Um, it's something that we came together. Actually, I, I pitched to this person a number of years ago, back in 2016, I believe. And um, only in the last year and a half have have we been able to carve out the time to be able to make this thing start to happen. And um and I'm currently drawing it, and um, it'll be out in 2024. Long time, it feels like to me, but I'm going to need all of this time. In fact, <laughs> I'm, I'm still. I was thinking it was going to be over with, and it's not even nearly over with right now. Oh, no. So it's it's a it's a book that's very illustrated, and I'm going to be basically for the first time in my career co-creating a story. So this is where I kind of want to go with my career. I want to do. I still want to do covers. I still love science fiction. I still love fantasy. I still love horror. I still want to be involved in this business and publishing industry in doing um, all these media illustrations and working with friends like George, but I want to create my own stuff too. And I feel like, and when I say create my own stuff, I should be more specific. Sorry. I should say that just creating illustrations for other people's worlds is not good enough, at least not for me. And I thought it would be. And it was only within the last decade that I realized that, um, and maybe George had some influence on it. I have never even really psychoanalyzed it, but um, <laughs> I know I have talked to George about it because he's asked me to do certain other things. And I've had to say, no, I'm, I can't do that because I, I want to go, I need to go down this road. And he understands, he gets it because he, that's what he does too. That's what any storyteller does. And I, I feel like a lot of the visual artists that are going to be able to survive into the next decade and beyond are going to have to be able to be not just storytellers, because we all are storytellers as visual artists in this field, but I think you actually have to own your own property. You have to literally create characters and create worlds and create properties that didn't exist with other people. You can collaborate with others and create them, but you have to own them and and really take charge of them and and nurture them and curate them and treat them as any other creator does. You can't just be hooking your train onto somebody else's story and you can do that and you can make a career out of it, but that's just not what I think is a full career, at least not for me. And I'm not bashing on any artist who isn't going down this road, but there are plenty that have like Brahm, Greg Manchus, Sean Tan, Todd Lockwood, mm-hmm. uh, James Gurney, Dinotopia, Ruth Sanderson, um, just rattling off a bunch of them off the top of my head. For a lot of your listeners, maybe those are new names, but I would, I would tell you to go look them up because um they're sort of at the vanguard of what I feel is a 
a real movement in the science fiction fantasy art field, which is visual artists who are creating their own stories, creating their own worlds and owning them and sharing them and, and becoming sort of publishing powers on their own. And I kind of want to be a part of that. And I kind of want to also be a, a leader in that eventually if I can. And that's really highfalutin because I haven't done a damn thing yet until <laughs> it comes out. Then I've got no leg to stand on. But that's part of why I feel like it's so important to get it done because I think um, for better, for worse, it's probably going to change how people see me as a creator. We'll see which way that goes. It's not in my control, but the, the only thing I can control is the work. So trying desperately to do it. And once I'm out of that, then I can see where George is at and we'll see if I'm uh, involved in anything. I, I was doing a lot of wild cards illustrations. Some of your listeners may have seen yes. some of those things for tour.com. And in fact, that actually was why I had to stop doing those was because I, I literally had to say, guys, I, I need to disconnect okay. from this train because I really need to focus on this other thing. So hopefully within the next year or so, I'll be able to share all the art and all of the stuff that I'm not able to talk about with this. Um, there was also talk lately about me, or in fact, within the last year, about me doing um, an illustrated edition of Dune. And that's been put kind of pushed back a bit, I must say. That was a little bit of a hard decision as well, but it, it had to be pushed back for this. So, you know, between telling George, hey, I need to push back and work mm -hmm. on this thing and telling Dune that I need to push back and work on this thing. Maybe that tells you just how important this thing is yeah. to me. So uh, let's hope I can pull it off, huh? I think you will. I mean, I think that's, uh, and that's something about being an artist, right? You want to build something and you have so much inside of you that you got to get out for you too sometime. So otherwise, why am I here? I yeah. Mean, you aren't here for me to just take you to the places that you already know. You're here for me to take you to the places that you don't. Yeah. You got to get that stuff out of you too. Why I am mean, I here? What if it yeah. just withers in there and dies? You know what and I mean? I've been thinking that lately. Like what, what does it do if you don't, use that magic in you, man, you got to use it. I, I don't know any other way other than yeah. just put it out there. So once that all gets done, then we'll go back and see where Loteria is at. So yes. um, for some of you out there who think, oh, he's just talking about Loteria. No, I'm actually not talking about Loteria. Loteria, <laughs> Loteria has, I have a plan for Loteria and, and it's more than just those limited run cards that I sell through my website. Those are sort of the the prologue or the on-ramp toward where I'm going to go with that project. But first, this other thing that I'm doing has to happen first. And then after that, I've got some pretty big plans for Loteria. And, and it'll be more than just a card set. It'll be Loteria, and then you can illustrate the wins a winner. <laughs> right? That's what I'm hearing. George, are you listening? I hope he's on to a dream of spring at that point. I really do. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that you get called on very soon for those wins a winner artworks oh. is what I'm saying. I'll answer the phone, believe me. And I, and I <laughs> doubt that I'll be saying no if that were to happen. Yeah, Dune, um, I don't know. But no, I'm just kidding. No, I love Dune too. I love Dune as well. But I love George. And I've said yeah. no on a, a couple of things. And he's understood. But Winds of Winter, I don't know if I could say no to that. I so. don't. I mean, that's the big one. That's the big kahuna. There'll be another one after that. Let's not, let's not hope that Hell that's yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. But it's the big kahuna of the decade. We need, right we need yeah. to catch that fish. I'm ready. Right now we I'm can ready. get that one out of the way first. That's right. <laughs> That's right. John, I have had such a good time chatting with you. Thanks me too. for hanging out with me. You know, we're, we were only Twitter friends before for a while. We became buddies through just Twitter and now we are real friends. You have to come back to tell us all about your big project. Will do. Um, I expect to hear from you so we can tell everyone and finally reveal it. But until then, where can we find you online? Uh, where can everyone look you up? 
Sure. Um, www.johnpicasio.com. I will spell it for you. J-O-H-N-P-I-C-A-C-I-O.com. That's, and I'll, I'll be updating my blog here within the next couple of weeks. I've got it actually, the one appearance I'll be doing this year will be at ArmadilloCon in Austin, Texas. It's the one show I'm doing this year, again, because of my workload. Also because I'm not stupid. I've got a kid and I don't want to get her sick and she goes into school. So I've been really careful about trying to keep myself from bringing something into the house. So with COVID and monkey pox and everything, that's going to be the one show, small show. Um, hopefully I can do more in 2023. But my Twitter handle is uh, at John Picasso, J-O-H-N-P-I-C-A-C-I-O. I'm on Twitter, same handle for Instagram. I really don't do a lot of social media um, on Instagram or Facebook. Twitter, I do a bit. You guys can look at my my feeds though. And and I'll I'll be, when I have work to show, I'll put it out there. These days, I just talk about women's rights <laughs> and the state of the world and everything being on fire and, and occasionally some art stuff. But really, I mean, this world is in such trouble right now, um, yeah. this country especially. So I feel like I've got to stand up. Um, I've got to stand up for my, my people and um, yes. people, both people I know and people I don't who have their, their rights in their communities um, in peril right now. So I say a lot about that. If that if that bothers you, then don't look at it. But if, if you're on board, then uh, come on by and I'll, I'll uh, if I could do anything for you, let me know. I'll be around. Hell but yeah, those, that's where you can reach me. And um, I appreciate it. It's good to, good to talk to you, Chloe. And um, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. As always, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, we will be back in August. We have one last Unleash the D episode because seven is the number. Seven is the number, the holy number here with the Targs joined in the faith. So your last guest is a huge surprise. It's like a very big deal. Huge guest, huge surprise. Very excited to bring this guest to you all the way from another country, if you even will. So um, we'll, be, we'll be putting that out next week. And after that, Eliana is returning. We'll be back with the Brotherhood Without Manners podcast for our last prologue episodes before we go on to a brand new point of view lots of lots of discussion at the discord where if you're a patron in the thunder tier or above ten dollars and up at patreon.com slash girls gone canon you can chit chat come to brunch slash happy hour every month uh try to guess what pov's next until i finally cave and tell you we have a we have a detective crew doing that over there right now it's pretty funny We'll be back next week with our final Unleash the D episode ahead of House of the Dragon. Thanks, guys.